Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. I would, uh, I'd like to, to do a call. Now, there's a lot of us on the call, and I want to hear our voices together with the Easter call response, you know, and so... Um, I'm going to invite you all to unmute, and it's going to sound like chaos, but that's okay. And, and if you don't, I think we all know how this works, but if you don't, I'm going to say he is risen, and we're all together going to say he's risen indeed. And I just want us to hear that. I want us to hear our, our community say that, say those words, because they matter. Okay, so I don't care if there's chaos in the background. I honestly don't care. Unmute yourselves just for this little moment. Here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Three times. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Risen. He is risen indeed. Fantastic. All right. Now, everyone, meet yourselves. Oh, that's great. It's so hilarious, you know, when people try to be in, in sync on Zoom, everyone starts to slow down, which is a strange phenomenon. Uh, like I said, when we opened up this morning, I am, uh, I understand, um, you know, the season that we're in and the hard things are being asked to do, but man, do I ever miss being able to be together. I miss the simplicity of being in the same room and if stuff doesn't work, it doesn't matter. You just shout. You know, it's, uh, it's anyway, but I'm thankful for today. And I'm thankful for you guys and thankful for us and, and, and for this Easter morning. And it is a hopeful morning. Um, I don't have a lot to share this morning. Uh, we've, we've already had, um, a, a lot of content, a lot of reflection. We've worshiped together, but there is something that I wanted to, to bring uh, by way of a bit of a, of an Easter morning message. And, um, you know, there are so many different ways that we can step into this. We can step into it from any, any one of a number of different perspectives, perspectives of the eyewitnesses, perspectives of the people who were there, um, you know, the, the, the sort of recently re-articulated reality that, you know, in, in many ways, um, you know, Mary was almost the first apostle, right? The very first person who saw and encountered the risen Jesus and was the first one to proclaim the good news of his resurrection, of his new life. Um, you know, and, and we've, we've talked about that in the past. And of course, Peter and, and uh, you know, and, and, and poor old doubting Thomas, um, who I think probably many of us identify. It's too bad that he got that nickname. I don't think it's fair, but there's so many different perspectives um, and then there's our own stories, our own moments of Easter where we encounter Jesus for the first time. And I just want to say that you have an Easter. You have a place, a moment. If you're here, if you're in this, I'm looking around the call. I, I don't know everyone's story, but I know that you all know Jesus. And so that means you have an Easter morning. You have a moment of encounter, something that's stirred in your heart. And I and and i i want to invite this isn't the thrust of the story of, of the message this morning but i want to make sure I, that we don't miss that there's an invitation to you to step into the memory of your own easter this morning your memory of encounter as paul you know who his encounter with jesus was altogether different 
from the other disciples. And yet he counted himself as among the witnesses who had actually spent some time with, with the risen Jesus in a blinding and shocking way. Um, our stories are different. My story is different. But this, t- this today, it is, it's playing out this, this pattern of memory, but also our own living memory. And not just our own living memory, but actually our living present and future too. And that's actually what I want to talk about. And, you know, it's funny, I've not heard um, in my many, many years of Easter Sundays at this point, I haven't actually heard uh, this message particularly um, on Easter morning, but I want to talk, I asked Adrian actually to lead the uh, Revelation song this morning, and Doug made a comment just saying, you know, it brings him to tears. It is such a beautiful song and so full of majesty and in, in, in just the imagery of scripture right the imagery of the book of revelation and uh, i just want to pull up the lyrics from the bridge for just a second here i i, I don't know that we sang them but i i, I just want to um, there they are filled with wonder awestruck wonder at the mention of your name jesus your name is power and not some stale political power or some dead power or some, but, but a living power, a breathing power. Your name is power, it's breath, it's living water. Such a marvelous mystery. And listen, the book of Revelation has scared the snot out of me since I was, since I first encountered it. It's a scary book. It's full of weird imagery. It's full of things that, quite frankly, we've gotten wrong um, and will get wrong again. And, um, and so my mission in the next 10 minutes or so is to completely explain all of the book to you so that you walk away with, no, it's not going to happen. Of course, it's not going to happen. I don't know. I don't know what it all means. Are you kidding? It's, 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 it's wild. Um, but a number of years ago, I read a book by a guy who might be familiar to you by name, uh, Eugene Peterson. He, he did a, um, a, a paraphrase of the, of the scriptures. Um, but he wrote a book and, and it was called uh, Reverse Thunder. And it was a book about the, sorry, about the book of Revelation, about John's revelation. And I think it's helpful. Most of our Bibles just say revelation, right? Um, interestingly, if you'll note, there's no S on the end, just, just, just a bit of a, a bit of a side note. Um, but you know, in, in kind of the Holy Bible, you know, the, in, in older Bibles, it says, it says the revelation of St. John or St. John's revelation. You might, you might see that in different Catholic books. It's interesting. It's a personified re- revelation. It's, it's somebody's experience. There is an individual who is captured into this uh, uh, cataclysmic, apocalyptic imagery, this, um, and I don't know what that experience was like for him, uh, but it's, it's epic. It's massive. And the, this book that, that, that this, this, uh, study or this reflection on St. John's, on John's revelation, um, argues that basically the, this, this revelation, it sums up in poetic, language and imagery, the entire story of creation, the whole thing, that um, for every verse, and I don't have the statistics, but for every verse in this book, in the Bible, there is 
basically more than, there are more references to the rest of scripture than there are verses in the book of Revelation. Everything is echoing something. And that's really significant. Um, and so as I was thinking about this Easter morning, thinking about what to speak on, um, the revelation of the risen Lord that is presented to us in John's revelation is utterly profound and fundamentally unique. Um, it, it's a story, it's, 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 it's almost like a cosmic revelation, like a revelation of the risen Christ that lives outside of, outside of time. Is as it, Revelation is not just about the future. It actually is a narrative of the past and a reality of today. When it was written, when John wrote this, it, he was writing to people who were living in that moment. It was a revelation of reality of that time in that moment. And it is for us today as well. And so the people of, that were living in this time, the people who read John's revelation for the first time, they had a problem. They had a whole series of problems, unsolvable problems. Un hope, hope was not an easily won commodity in ancient times. A church that's under persecution, uh, a, a, a militant authority reigning over them, massive tension, massive amounts of things like racism, violent death, political intrigue. I mean, it, these are tenuous times and sickness, lots of sickness. Lots of famine going on during these times. They had a problem. They had a series of problems. We have, in our day, a series of unsolvable problems. Yes, some of them we have starting to get a handle on. But I think we all know we wake up or we go to bed maybe. And, and maybe we all of a sudden have the emergence of the unsolvable problems, the things that we carry, we do not know the solution for. We cannot see the way forward. We can't necessarily figure it out. Um, and I think that no, no matter whom of us is the most hopeful, all of us has some idea of what the pull and the gravity of despair looks like, don't we? We have a sense of that. The gravity of despair, it functions like gravity. It's on us all the time, whether we're at wing or not. There's something that can pull us down. And what goes up? Let's come down. You guys know that phrase? Well, that's gravity at work, right? Unsolvable problems. Well, heaven in the book of Revelation has an unsolvable problem. I'm going to pick up in chapter 5. And it's weird imagery, and I'm not. I don't have all. I don't have an explanation for all of it, and that's okay. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, and sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. This is a, this is whatever else is happening here. This is a moment in, in the heavenly places where the purposes of God are stalled, where the hopes and dreams of the people gathered, whatever this is in the throne room, though, we've just come out of the, out of the throne room or in, in chapter four, they're in a really holy place. And what are scrolls? Scrolls are, scrolls are promises scrolls are stories scrolls are intense scrolls are declarations scrolls matter they're proclamations of something they're narrations of something they're memories of things the scrolls are locked they're stalled we're in the middle of a what are we calling it a shutdown we're stalled Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed, and he's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And so we love the image of, of the lion of, of Judah. We, we, I mean, this is, you know, this decorates flags. It's, it's a powerful image. You know, we love the Aslan story C.S. Lewis gifted us with, right? The lion who's mighty and powerful and shows up and wins the day. And so I can imagine the human component in this story goes, oh, the lion of God, that's a good thing. We're, we're saved, we're rescued. And then, then he turns and he's, what does he see? He doesn't see a lion standing there at all. He sees a lamb looking as if it's been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders, which had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And into the stalled narrative, into the, into the, the clammed up promises of God that just don't seem to be connecting through, don't seem to be making a way in all of creation, which is essentially what is summed up here. The created order of things are, are crying out and they are having a crisis. And the elder says, it's okay. The lion has come, but it's not, but it is the lion, but it's the lamb. This is Jesus. This is the risen Jesus. And it's important to know that the resurrection doesn't cancel the cross. The, the work that's done on the cross, the presentation of Jesus when he's, when he's remained, he has these scars, he has the evidences of his suffering. This indicates that he's bloody and elsewhere in the scripture, and this is kind of gory, but it indicates that he's covered in, in blood and there's different interpretations of what this means, but I'm convinced that it's his own. That work stands, it echoes, it does, 
And, and the resurrection is such a crucial part of it. It is our hope. It is the flourishing life of God come to, to invite us into something that we dared not even hope and still feels like foolishness to say out loud. Do you ever feel foolish when you start saying that you believe in eternal life, that you're going to live forever with God in the new heavens and a new earth? Do you ever feel foolish about these things? And yet the resurrection invites us to that. But the work on the cross is what's being talked about here. It is the risen limb, but it's one who was slain, who solves the problem, who releases the promise, unstops the blockage. And God's intentions and hopes and dreams are brought to life. And they sang a new song, these saints and these elders and these creatures and these angels they you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain with your blood you purchased men all of us for god from every tribe and language and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our god and they will reign on the earth and remember that in this story priests are not people who walk around all dressed in black with collars or whatever but priests are people who celebrate they eat that's what priests were were known to do. They were, they would, yes, they took care of sin, but they also hosted feasts. They hosted meals. Remember, sacrifice, whatever else it was, was a barbecue. It was a meal. A kingdom of priests, a kingdom of people who feast, who have parties and celebrate and tell the stories of God. And I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. So we're somewhere into the, you know, whatever the math looks in this. I think we can comfortably say millions. doesn't matter. It's big, lots. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And then the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the invitation of Easter morning. This is the reality. This is the ongoing present reality. And you and I have unsolvable problems. You and I have things we do not know how to crack the seal open. We do not know how to forward the plot. And I will tell you today, I believe that Jesus is the one who is worthy and capable, even in our uncertainty, and remember that this is being written to people who are being like genuinely persecuted. Do you think we're being persecuted because we can't meet? That meet? That's hogwash. No one can meet right now. We're talking about people. This is written to people who are being murdered by the state. And Jesus is worthy. And Jesus is going to take care and avenge and whatever, whatever that looks like. And by the way, Whatever else the, the vengeance of God looks like, clearly it doesn't look like the way you and I would deal it out. So it's God's. And more specifically, it's Jesus. So that's our invitation this morning. So Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you, God, that this echoes, that this echoes throughout all the whole story. 
the beginning to the end, the alpha to the omega, without ceasing, without stopping. You are the one who is holy and worthy. You presented yourself blameless. You presented yourself in the fullness of time. You subjected yourself willingly to the worst powers, to the, to the worst that we could do, to the most broken and defiled expressions of humanity. And, and you took it on yourself and you, you defeated it. You put death in its grave. And so this morning, Lord, we give you our, we give you our worst enemies and we say, do what you will, put death in its grave. We give you our disappointments. We give you our brokenness. We give you our pain. We give you our suffering. We say, put, put that stuff in its grave. Lord, we trust you with it because you don't leave us in our, you don't leave us in the grave. But you lift us up. You raise us up to new life. And that's our proclamation and our hope. Jesus is risen, is risen indeed. Bless you into today, Resurrection Sunday. Um, I pray that your day is, is full of the hope and the vibrancy of the resurrected life of Christ today. And by the way, Easter is not a one-day celebration, but it's a 50-day celebration, so we're not done. And every Sunday is a mini Easter, kind of, in the designs of things, so we're not done. But that's what we got for today. So bless you guys. Happy Easter.